It's a, it's a great day to be in church. Um, are, are you ready for the word? Amen. All right, good. Well, whether you are or not, I'm bringing it. So here we go. Um, I actually, uh, let me preface by saying, you know, when, uh, when preparing for a sermon, if I'm sure some of you have done that before, there's times where it's really a grind. You know, you really have to study and, and put everything together and you just hope when Sunday morning comes, you, you can give a word that will uh, encourage and challenge your people. And then there are other weeks, like this week for me, where you don't have to find the message. The message actually finds you. And uh, I believe the Lord's given me a word for our church today. Um, and, you know, some of it is based on uh, ins- inspiration from what we're dealing with in our society today. But it's really a, a lesson for life in general, too. It applies to our life at any time. You know, I don't have to tell you that we're in, we're in the middle of a very uh, tumultuous and, and difficult and chaotic season in our country, right? And uh, it's, it's difficult for a lot of reasons. In fact, there's many layers to the difficulty, to the struggles that we're having in our nation, you know, uh, from the economic situation we're in, the crisis that we're in, you know, the, the, the millions of jobs that have been lost because of this virus. And uh, However, if you watch the news, uh, the jobs report in May was actually very good. We actually gained over 2 million jobs instead of losing another 10 million like they had thought we might. So praise God for that. Maybe the economy's turning around. Uh, quicker than they anticipated. I love it when the, when the pundits are wrong, especially if it's in our favor. Amen. Uh, but nevertheless, there's a lot of financial turmoil in our country and in a lot of our lives. And then there's the, everything that comes with this COVID-19 and the, the health uh, issues that so many people are dealing with, the sickness, even death for many people, and, the, and everything that, that comes with the fear uh, of this virus. And then uh, over the last couple weeks, we know that the, uh, the murder of George Floyd has has uh, caused a societal unrest unlike what we've seen in, in many, many years in our country. And, uh, you know, who would have thought a few weeks ago that COVID-19 would be a back burner story? It's incredible. Uh, it's just amazing the times that we are living in right now, and it's hard, even, it's hard to even process it sometimes and comprehend it because of what is going on in our life. And, um, you know, the, the thing that's concerning that's kind of front and center right now is it's the fact that the, the racial divide in this country has the potential to grow wider if the Lord does not move and do a mighty work and the church rise up to do what we're called to do in the midst of it. Amen? And because of that, uh, this week, we, uh, we decided quickly to have a, uh, a night of worship and prayer here at the church this evening. Uh, something that came up based on everything that we're dealing with. And, you know, we don't just want to be people that are talking about the situation and, and either adding fuel to the fire or trying to help quench the fire, whatever it might be, but we want to put action to what we say. Amen? And there is no greater action than prayer. There's no greater action than prayer. Now, that's not the only thing we do. Obviously, there's, there's legs we have to put to situations too, but the one thing we know as a church we can do, the most important thing we can do is we can pray. So tonight at 6 o'clock for one hour, I'm asking all of you that are comfortable so please come out, and we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have worship. Taylor's going to be leading the band. We're going to sing some, too. And uh, we're going to have segments of prayer where some of the leaders, board members in our church are going to uh, lead us in different times of prayer corporately. And uh, we're just believing that God is going to move on behalf of our nation and our world. And uh, we're going to ask God to help us, to lead us to be uh, agents of healing and, and health and, and unity in our, in our community and in our world. And so if you are able, please come out and join us tonight. It's, like I said, it's going to be from 6 to 7. And uh, Lord willing, it's going to be a, a wonderful, wonderful time of just praying, coming before God. And it'll, it'll be unifying and bonding even for us as a community in our church. So I want to invite you to that tonight. But 
Today, this morning, I came to bring a word to you to let you know and to remind you that God has the final word in all of the situations we deal with in life. All of them. Whether your situation that's front and center in your mind has anything to do with what's going on in our community, God has the final word if we will allow him to. In fact, uh, my text verse this morning, I want to I read it. In fact, I know you've been standing and sitting a lot, but I'm going to ask you to stand one more time for me, please. Just in honor of reading the word. It's in Proverbs 19 and verse 21. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's a powerful word. That actually says a lot, doesn't it? it it's not saying that everything that God gets involved in in our life is going to end up with a nice bow on top of it and be perfect. But it says that his purpose, his intention will prevail in our lives if we allow him. And that's, a, that's something we need to be remembering today as followers of Jesus, that his plan, his purpose for our life, that it's good and it's going to prevail if we allow him. The title of my message is actually called Good Intentions today. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we just prepare for the rest of this, this message this morning. Father God, we do love you today. Lord, I'm so thankful for everyone that's here and everyone that's watching online. It's such a blessing, God, and it's such an honor to be here and to be able to bring this word. And I pray today that our hearts would be good soil and that your word would be able to produce fruit in our lives, Lord Jesus. God, we need you desperately. And we pray that you would come and do your work in each one of our hearts, that my words would be your words, and that you and you alone would be glorified. You're the only one that deserves it, Jesus. We thank you. We'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory for all the work you do in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, God bless you. You can be seated. Good intentions. So intentions describe the heart behind what we do in everything in life, right? Um, Our intention... Our intent in a situation means a lot. What our heart is in something that we do. Uh, in the law, if you look at the law, intent means a whole lot, right? And I'll give you an example. Intent is, the, is a big difference between murder and manslaughter, right? The only difference between those two is intent. And the sentences that come with those two are very, very different. So in the law, intent matters. Like what you meant to do in a situation, whether or not it was premeditated, it matters. Now in relationships, our intentions and our actions don't always line up. You know, we, they do sometimes, but there's oftentimes they don't really line up. You know, if I tell Joy, hey, I intended to get you a nice birthday present, but all I got her was a pack of gum, she's not going to care what my intention was. You know, they say, they say it's a thought that counts. It's not true. People don't believe it, right? In relationship, it's not the thought that counts. It's what you do with that thought that you have. Amen? Intent matters. And in our spiritual lives... Intention and actions can also be at odds. They're often at odds in our life. In fact, uh, the, the Apostle James, the book of James in the New Testament, my good buddy, me and him, when we get to heaven, we're going to be best friends because I, I, I read it all the time because I, I love his heart. He just shoots straight. And uh, he says that uh, faith without works is dead. Intention without action is dead. It's what he's saying there. It's not enough to say I believe in God. There has to be something that we do to show what we believe. In fact, in his fourth chapter in verse 17, look what he says. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. That tells me that good intentions aren't enough. How often do we fail at this? Every day. Every day there's there's opportunities for us to do good in a situation and we don't do it. Out of laziness, selfishness, lack of caring, feeling like you're too busy, whatever it is. There's things in our life all the time 
that we know we should have done, but we don't do. If it's as something as simple as walking through a parking lot and picking up a piece of trash that you, st- that you saw, or, or something a little more substantial with, uh, like when you have someone in your life that you know needs help financially or just to, for you to be able to give your time to them, but we don't do it. According to James here, that's a sin. Or if it's, if it's saying you're sorry in a situation, how many know it's not always easy to say sorry, even though when you know there's times you should? Or on the flip side of that, forgiving someone when they say they're sorry or when they haven't said they're sorry. You know, the Bible's very clear that we're called to forgive. But sometimes we hold on to that unforgiveness. And James says here, if we don't do the good we know we should do, that we're sinning. And this isn't to beat us up. It's to remind us of the fact that we really need Jesus. We need his Holy Spirit working in us and through us because otherwise there's no chance of us doing the things that we ought to do because we are typically selfish people. Intentions don't matter as much as what we do because what we do shows our true heart. Our heart is revealed by what we do. So the question would be, what is God's intent? What are God's intentions? And how do his, his actions and his intentions work together? Well, God is the only person in all the universe, in the history of the world, that his, his actions and his intent are always perfectly in sync. That's a powerful thing to know that we never have to worry that, you know, God knows he should have done something, but he didn't do it because he was lazy. His, his intentions and his actions are always, always perfectly in harmony with each other. And that's a beautiful thing that we can hang on to. It's why we can follow him blindly in some cases and trust him, even though we don't understand is because we know that his intentions are good for us. This is exemplified in a, uh, in a passage in Genesis and I'm going to use this verse to kind of catapult off of for the rest of my, my message today. But uh, in the last part of Genesis, we see the story of Joseph. Most of you know the story of Joseph. He was one of Jacob's 12 kids. His brothers hated him. And they thought about killing him. But instead of killing him, they decided, well, we'll make a few bucks on him. So they sold him into slavery. And he ended up being in slavery. And then eventually he ended up getting wrongfully imprisoned and uh, lived a living hell for 13 years. But he eventually he interpreted a dream God helped him interpret a dream for, of Pharaoh's and he gave Pharaoh some information that was very valuable uh, about a famine that was coming. And so Pharaoh actually elevated him to the second in charge in Egypt. Okay? And you guys know the story. Everybody from around, people from all over the world were coming to Egypt to get food during this time of severe famine, including Joseph's brothers and his dad. And they come and they, they throw themselves at the mercy of Joseph. They, were, they, uh, they thought he was dead, but they found out he's alive and, and Joseph helped him. And everything was fine, but then all of a sudden, Jacob dies. He just got to the end of his life. It was time for him to go, and he dies. And Joseph's brothers freak out. And they're thinking, oh, my goodness, dad's gone. He's probably the only reason that Joseph was nice to us. Now Joseph's going to get the revenge that he thinks he deserves on each one of us. So they went to Joseph, and they said, listen, Joseph, dad told us before he died you weren't there. But dad told us before he died that you're supposed to forgive us, and you're supposed to be nice to us. And uh, Joseph saw right through their ruse. But uh, I'm going to read, I'm going to pick up right there in Genesis 50, verses 19 to 21. Look what he says. It says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. It's the second time he tells them not to be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Powerful, powerful verse there. Joseph would have had every right under the sun to take vengeance out on his brothers. 
for what they did to him. It was terrible what he went through for those 13 years that we have no understanding. We can't even comprehend what he went through during that time. Yet when they came to him and they tried to manipulate him, rather than him bucking up and saying, hey, I'm the prime minister of Egypt. You're not going to do this. He said, don't worry, guys. I'm not in the place of God. I'm going to take care of you and your children. And he reassured them, and it says he spoke kindly to them. So he didn't even do it with an edge. He did it very kindly because he knew God's plan in all of this was accomplished. God's intent was accomplished in, the, in his life, in the situation. So what I want to give you today, you know, there's three characters at play in our life all the time. You have the enemy of your soul, Satan. He has an intent for your life. He has intentions. Then you have your own intentions for your life. And then we have God and his intention for your life. I'm going to go through all three of these. As, as, the, as the body of my message this morning, okay? So let's start off with the enemy's intentions. It says, Joseph told them, you intended to harm me. The enemy's intention in our life is always to harm us. Always. He has no good intentions for us. Now, you might look at that and say, well, you know, that wasn't the devil. That was his brothers. Wasn't the devil that did that. His brothers did that. And, you know, it's easy for us to think sometimes that, that people or an entity or a government, or a, uh, a group, or a corporation, or whatever it is, that they are our enemy. Because oftentimes they're the ones that we see face-to-face -face doing the things that in a way are mistreating us, or whatever it might be. But you know, the Apostle Paul tells us very clearly that people are not our enemy. In fact, it's in Ephesians 6, in verse 12. Look what he says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, our battle is not against people, it's against the devil. It's a spiritual battle that we are dealing with. And this can be difficult for us to understand sometimes because, again, like I said, oftentimes the, we see people that seem to be our enemies. But Paul would say here, that's not your enemy. Your enemy is the devil. It, you know, it, if someone comes into my house wanting to harm my family, it sure seems like he would be my enemy, right? Or if someone puts their, their knee on someone's back until they're dead, it would seem like that person would be the enemy, right? But the Bible would tell us that that person is not our enemy. And here's, how, here's why. I want to explain this, and this is very, very important that we understand this, church. We live in a broken world, right? The moment sin entered the world, back in Genesis, the very beginning of Genesis, from that moment on, the world has been broken. And it is, it is a promise to us that the world is going to be broken until Jesus comes back. There's just brokenness. Their sin is in the world. And that is not going to be eradicated until Jesus comes back. The enemy needs vessels to use to fulfill his purpose and his intent for our life. So what the enemy does is he takes the brokenness in people and uses it to exploit us. That's what he does. That's why we could say this battle is spiritual. Because the Bible tells us that there's none of us that are good. The Bible's very clear. None of us are good. It actually says that our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. So none of us are good except for the Spirit of God in us. So those people that are lacking the Spirit of God, the enemy is using people and brokenness in people to, to fulfill his mission and his vision for each and every one of us. And you know what the enemy's mission is for us? It's very clearly put in John 10, 10. He says the enemy comes to steal from us, to kill us, and ultimately, if he gets his way, to destroy us. That's his plan for our life. And so what he does, he doesn't come, no, I don't, no, none of us have ever seen the devil. We've never seen him. 
what he does is he uses people. He uses the brokenness that's in people to cause all kinds of turmoil. And that's exactly what he's doing in our society today. That's why we as a church can look at that and say, okay, this is a spiritual battle. That's why we want to come together and pray tonight because that's the, that is the front lines of what we can do in this battle we're facing in our, in our society today. Now, that's not the only thing we do, right? Somebody said one time, if, if Christians all just sat around and prayed and did nothing, nobody would ever get saved and nothing good would happen. But that's the first line of defense is that we come together and we pray. And, we, and, and, we, and while we're praying, when we're in our prayer and we're, we're submitting ourselves to God, then he starts to give us directives about what we can do. He gives us good ideas. He gives us insight. He gives us discernment and wisdom to how we can be agents of change and healing in our society. That's God's plan for us. But we have to understand and recognize the enemy's plan in our lives. One of the best arrows in, in Satan's good old quiver, in his quiver, is fear. And that's something that he uses a lot. And he's using it a lot today. Whether you're fearful about our, our economy, whether you're fearful about this virus, or whether you're fearful about what's happening with the protests or about racism, whatever it is that you're fearful about, that's, that's one of the enemy's best tools to accomplish his intent in our life. That's why Joseph told his brothers twice, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When we have the heart and the vision of God, we do not have to be afraid. You know, there's a lot of things that people are afraid of right now, right? But this week, racism is front and center, right? It's front and center, and it's because of fear. Racism is always a byproduct, a tool that comes from fear. Because you know what? No one is ever born racist, right? Nobody. There, there's nobody white that's born racist towards black, or nobody black racist towards white, nobody Hispanic racist towards Asian, Asian towards blacks, or white. Nobody. We're not born to be that way. But what, what we do know from a very, very young age is we can see difference. We can see that somebody is different than us, that they look a little different than us. And see, what happens is over time, if that difference that we see is not valued, that difference becomes fear. And when we fear, we reject. We reject what we fear in life because we don't understand. So we, we just kind of, we reject it. So the, the differences is what God puts in us and the variety. God made us, he made variety and he loves it. And I believe that he wants us to love it. And I'm thankful for a church like New Hope where we see the variety, we see the diversity. And I believe that God, is, that God brought that to us. God made us that way. We look like, we look as much like heaven as any church out there. And I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. And we celebrate that. We celebrate it. And we value each other's differences. And when we do that, we don't fear each other. And so we don't reject each other. But, but the enemy uses that fear to cause us to accomplish his purpose in our life, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have to understand that Satan uses whatever tool he can to accomplish the purposes that he has for us. I want to move on to the next one. The next one is our intentions. Now, we would say our intentions for ourselves are pretty good. But, you know, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy, too. We can be self-destructive in life. This is all about checking our heart. Last week, you know, we were talking about, we, we it was Pentecost Sunday, and I talked about for us, if we want to see, uh, experience a personal Pentecost in our own life, it's so important that our heart is in the right place. The heart is everything. And I'm going to say it again today. The heart is everything when it comes to our own intentions for ourselves. 
where is our heart when it comes to our intentions? Joseph, when, he, when his brothers confronted him and tried to manipulate him, he said right away, he said, am I in the place of God? You know what that tells me is that Joseph understood he had perspective, that his heart was good. Because otherwise, when he saw their manipulation, he could have said, sorry guys, it's time to pay the piper. Your chickens have come home to roost. But he didn't. He said, am I in the place of God? He said, I am not here to pass judgment on you, even though he has the right to. It was because his heart was in the right place. Our battle will always, always, always be in our heart. That's always where our, our first line of defense is in our own life, is our heart. And, and the, 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 one of the biggest struggles we have in our heart is the forgiveness factor. You know, when we feel like we've been wrong, when we feel like somebody has harmed us or something, some injustice has happened to us, the, the, uh, the perception could be that we don't want to forgive. And, you know, we talk about forgiveness all the time in this church because it is so clear in the scripture, it's so important that we extend forgiveness to everybody and everything. And we know Joseph did that because uh, Joseph told him in that last verse, he said, it says that Joseph reassured them and spoke kindly to them. That's forgiveness. Those guys didn't deserve his forgiveness. They were groveling and he probably felt sorry for them because they needed food, but they, they didn't deserve his forgiveness after what they did. The only reason they apologized was because they knew they needed something from him. Yet it says he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. But you know, the reason I believe Joseph was able to do that in this situation is because he understood that the battle was the Lord's. And that what, because he says, what you intended for evil, God turned for good. So he knew that the battle was, Joseph had to do things. He had to live out his life and continue to trust God and submit to him. But the battle ultimately was the Lord's. And we must learn to fight our battles the Lord's way. You know, uh, we, I talk about in, um, in, the, in Paul's epistles all the time, how much Paul talked about his weakness, bragging about how weak he was. And you know, the Christian faith is the only, the only anything in the world where we brag about being weak. It's the only one where we actually embrace our weakness. I preached not too long ago about embracing our weakness because it doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense outside of an understanding that the Holy Spirit would give us that weakness is actually a strength when it comes to our faith. In fact, Paul goes as far as to say, I delight in my weaknesses. He's saying, I love it that I'm weak. Man, it's the greatest thing ever. He sounds like an insane person, doesn't he? But the reason he's saying that is because he knows that in our weakness, that is where God is made strong. Because if we're going to do it in our own strength, God stands back. He doesn't come alongside us in our strength to help us. That's not what he does. The Bible is pretty clear that he says, in your weakness, I'll be strong. So it's important that we understand that we can't fight these battles on our own, that we can't win the battle on our own, and that we don't even have to win the battle on our own, that we trust him. And we, we confess our weakness, we confess our dependency on him, and then that's where God says, finally, now I can come in and do my work. That's why we can celebrate our weakness and not have to worry about trying to be strong in our battles. You know, the Bible is full of instances where the Lord fought the battles for people. All over the Bible, you, you can see so many times in the Word where people, in, the characters in the Bible, that God fought their battles. But it was always predicated on the fact that they admitted their weakness. They admitted their, they, they came to him in humility and said, God, we need you. Jehoshaphat was quoted as saying, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God, it was like God said, thank you, that's all I needed to hear. Hezekiah had the same thing happen. Moses, Joshua, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. David, where the Lord fought their battles when they said, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Now, does it mean 
that the, these guys like David, he didn't have to actually even go into the battle. No, he still had to go into the battle, but God fought for him. So it doesn't mean we sit back and kick our feet up and do nothing, but it also means we know where our real victory comes from, is from him. My, one of my favorite stories in the Bible where it talks about God fighting our battles is, from a, is the one about Elisha. And uh, in 2 Kings, the Arameans are coming after the Israelites. They were wanting to, to destroy them. Um, and I'm sure the Israelites were thinking, get in line, guys. There's so many of you <laughs> that wanted to destroy them. But in this, in this instance, the Arameans wanted to. And uh, Elisha was the prophet for Israel at the time. And his servant happened to go up on the hill, and he saw the Aramean army. And it was tons of chariots and horses. And it freaked him out. And he came running to Elisha and said, <laughs> we're, we're in trouble, sir. I don't know what we're going to do because there is no way we could fight this army. And look at what Elisha says to him. In 2 Kings 6, verses 16 to 17, he says, Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, the servant just saw how many people were in that Aramean army. So I'm sure the servant was thinking, well, that's it. Elisha has lost his mind. It's over. But look what he, look what he goes on to say. It says, Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. His eyes were opened to see that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And church, that should be our prayer today and in the days and weeks and months following today. God, open our eyes. Help us to see things as you see them. Help us to see with your perspective. Help us to, to have your heart. Help us to just give us eyes to see the fact that we don't have to we don't have to fix this on our own. Again, doesn't mean we don't do anything, but the, the stuff we're dealing with in our society today can seem overwhelming. Like, where do you even start, right? But God would say, pray that your eyes would be open because there's a, there's a hillside full of chariots of fire for him wait, ready to come and fight our battles with us. All right, so then finally, we want to look at God's intentions for us. And this is the best one. I saved the best for last. Because knowing God's intentions, this is where we find our peace. This is where we find peace that will last in our life. The verse I read in Genesis 50, the 20th verse out of that passage, it says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Man, such a great verse. In that song we sang today, it says, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turned it for good. That's where this comes from. He took what the enemy meant for evil and he turned it for good. See, this is the thing, church. We know God's plans for us are good, right? I mean, if you have any knowledge of God himself, you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that God's plans are always good for us. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, one of the most quoted, you know, memorialized scriptures in all the Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The reason we quote that verse so much is because it is so good. It just reminds us, yeah, God, your plans for me are good. And I want to remember that. So we don't have to worry about God's plans for us, whether or not they're good. But we also see in Joseph's life that sometimes the enemy makes plans for us too. And we know from the enemy that his plans for us are never good. They're always, always bad. And they're always to harm us 
and to kill us and to destroy us. But here's the beauty of this and what we see in this verse is that God's plans are always good. The enemy's plans are always bad. But God can actually turn the enemy's plans for our good. That's a huge blessing to know that it, it's, it doesn't matter who started the plan. It's only who finishes it. And if God finishes it, we know that it's going to be good. If we trust him, if we stay faithful to him, if we're committed to him, Joseph trusted God through all the trials he went through. He continued to serve his Lord. And God took that situation and turned it around for good. That song we sang today, what a beautiful name. It says, you have no rival. There's no rival to God. Satan is not God's rival. He's not. He's a gnat compared to God. You know? Most of you know I'm a, I'm a big Ohio State fan. I grew up in Ohio. Everybody knows our rival. It's that, that blue and maize team that we can't even say out loud. Of course, we've been beating up on them pretty good for the last little while, so it's okay. But every team has a rival, you know, that you just, when you get to that game, you're just amped up, you're ready to go, and, you know, it can ruin or make your weekend, depending on what happens in that game, right? Well, God doesn't have that. There's no rival. There's no rivalry between him and Satan. There is absolutely nobody that can match him. It says that you have no equal. There is nobody equal to God. So there is nothing too difficult for him to take a situation that the enemy started in our life for our evil. It's not too difficult for him to turn it for good. It's, it's like he doesn't even, it's like he could flick it with his finger and turn it for good. But he's wanting to make sure that we're submitted and committed to him. That we're, we're committed to him receiving glory and that the victory would be his. We get, to, we get to receive the fruit of the victory, but the victory really does belong to the Lord. And it's important that we remember that in our life. And if we will do that, we will see his victory in our life. He used a horrible situation for Joseph and turned it. Not only did he turn it for good, he turned it for stinking amazing. It was used to save countless lives. I mean, I'm sure the enemy, if you could see him, you know, he was thinking he had Joseph. He's like, yeah, I got this sucker. And he had him for 13 years. He had him in slave and then in prison. And here all of a sudden he's elevated to second in charge of Egypt and he interprets his dream and countless lives are saved because of what the enemy tried to do to him. I can almost see Satan back in the corner going, man, that did not work out the way I'd hoped. It's just like, it's just like Satan's the one that he tried to kill Jesus. You know, he's like, I'm going to kill the Messiah. And you know, when Jesus died, you've seen the movies where they've tried to depict this. Satan's rejoicing. It's like, we killed the Christ. We did it. He's gone. And then three days later, not only did he rise from the dead, but it was like Satan actually helped Jesus accomplish what he came to do. Jesus like, man, you're, you really messed this up because you actually helped fulfill my plan by killing me and redeeming the whole human race back to himself. That's what God does. He does that in that, he did that in that situation to redeem humankind, but he does that in our life too. He will turn our situations for our good if we will allow it. You guys, you guys, if you've heard me preach a lot, you know my favorite verse in all the Bible is Romans 8, 28. And I know it's a lot of people's favorite, but it was my favorite first, so I claim it. Um, <laughs> Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God, let me stop right there. In all things God, God is in all things. There's no situation you're in that God doesn't know about, that, he's not, that he doesn't care about. There's no scenario, there's no nothing, no part of your life that God is not in and that he does not care about. We know in all things God works for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose, to his intention. His intentions for us are good. He has good intentions in every scenario in our life. God works in what, how many situations? 
all of them. There's none that are exempt. So whatever situation you find yourself in now, whatever's, whatever's causing that anxiety in your life, whether it has to do with the, the social issues we're dealing with today or this virus, or if it's something completely different, whatever it is, God will work in that situation for your good. If it's not good yet, then God's not done. It's that simple. And we can trust him in that, can't we? He works all situations for our good. So do our political leaders work for our good? Do our bosses work for our good? Do our, does our friend circle work for our good? Do social activists work for our good? Do our pastors always work for our good? No. Nobody else in life always looks out for your good. Nobody. Because we've all got our own things we're dealing with. And sometimes we just have an agenda all, all together different from what would be a blessing to you. The only one that works good in all of our situations is God himself. And he's the only one that we can really lean on and trust with all of our hearts, 100%. And the only way we will see his good is if we are committed to his purpose and his glory in our lives. Church, God is setting you up for a victory. He, he is the one that wants to bring victory in your life. Whatever area it is that you're dealing with, that you're struggling with, he wants to bring victory. He's setting you up for victory if you will trust him. And we're, you know, we sang that song in worship, see a victory. It talks about the battle being the Lord's and I'm gonna see a victory. You take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. We're gonna sing it again here in a minute as an act of worship. And hopefully on the, on the heels of, of this word that it will mean something to us. And we can sing it as a declaration, as a, as a prayer and a stepping out in faith and saying, yes, God. You know, I've allowed myself to worry about many, many things. I've allowed the, the news to get to me. I've allowed a lot of things to get to me, social media, whatever it might be that's feeding you right now and, and causing you, stirring up anxiety in you, whatever those things are, we need to reset. I'm glad you're here today and I'm glad you're watching online because we need a reset. We need to reset our minds on him and say, yes, God, I'm gonna see that victory. I believe you're gonna turn whatever the enemy meant for evil, you're gonna turn it for my good. But God's, answer, God's response to that would say, well, you gotta trust me. You gotta you got be committed to me. Don't, don't, don't uh, feed the fear. Don't feed the anxiety. Don't feed the negatives. Don't feed the enemy's plan. Look to my plan. Look what, how I would want to turn this for good. And trust me in that. So would you, would you stand with us? We're going we're gonna to worship here. I want to ask you today, what, is, what does victory look like for you? Because it's not necessarily always those outward things. You know, this virus being eradicated, our economy going back to normal, you know, the social, the social injustice being completely eradicated. Do we want those things? Of course. But the victory starts in our heart. It starts in us, because that's a victory that no one can ever steal from us. No one can take that. Joseph had the victory throughout, and no one could take that from him, no matter if he was in slavery, or if he was in prison, or he was leading Egypt, he had the victory because it was here and he knew that God was gonna work in his situation for his good. So let's sing, I'm gonna pray for us that God would help us to see the battle that it's his and help us to know our place and our role in it. Would you pray with me this morning? Just receive this this morning. God, I thank you today that the battle is yours and that we can trust you. Lord, I thank you that we're gonna see victory in our lives as we trust you, as we're surrendered to you, and as we seek you. God, would you lead us into the battle and into the victory? 
God, we thank you today that you turn what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. That it doesn't matter who starts the plan, doesn't matter who starts those wheels in motion in our life. Either way, it'll work for good if we give it to you. So God, we take all of our anxieties, all of our worries, all the fear, all the stuff that's, that we're dealing with today, God, and Lord, we give it to you. And we tell you that we trust you today. Lord, let your name be glorified in the midst of our situation. Let your name be exalted, Jesus. We pray that you would receive all the glory, that there would be no, no government officials, no medical doctors, no economists. Nobody else would receive the glory for any good that comes out of our society except you. You and you alone, Jesus. Let your church raise the banner high. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to be agents of healing, of unity in our country and in our world. Father, we love you. I pray for each and every person here today, Lord, and everyone watching online, that you would do your work in our hearts. Lord, that you would help us to trust you. We know that your intentions in our life are good, and you're the only one we can trust. And God, I pray that you help us to see what you're doing in our lives and to trust you and to be completely surrendered to you. We love you. We pray that you would seal the work you're doing in our hearts by your spirit, Lord. We know that now, right now, it's, it's a little easier to trust you in this emotional moment. But God, we're going outside and we're leaving in a minute. And Lord, we know the world is out there waiting for us to, to sow doubt and fear in our hearts. God, would you protect us from that? I pray hedge of protection around each and every one of our hearts and minds for you and for your glory. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. amen.